Welcome to the next episode of Dadding Black Kids with Adelric McCain and Gregory Peters, a podcast about fatherhood, black children, and the commitment to liberation within today's public schools. Welcome back to the second installment of Dadding Black Kids, the podcast. Uh, my name is Adelric McCain, again, uh, Director of Equity Impact at the Network for College Success, and with me. Hi, I'm Greg Peters. I am the Executive Director of the San Francisco Coalition of Essential Small Schools. Uh, we are here to talk about um, dadding Black children in our different skins. I'm a white man, um, and we have children in public education. I'm happy that we're getting a chance to talk again. Mm-hmm. There's Same. been quite a bit that has uh, transpired, I think, since the last time that we've talked. Mm-hmm. Um, both nationally or national news, we, um, I think last time that we spoke, it didn't become out to the press and the public around um, the lynching and the um, murder of an unarmed black man in Georgia, uh, Ahmaud Aubrey. Um, and then we're still trying to um, navigate and negotiate this thing called COVID and schooling. And then I know um, on a personal level that my family um, suffered a loss. My uh, grandmother-in-law uh, passed away uh, in Alabama. Um, so there's been a lot that's going on, um, but we are still trying to navigate and negotiate as a family. Mm. What's been coming up for you? First of all, I'm sorry about your your grandmother-in-law. Um, there's a lot coming up. And as you know, we spoke uh, a few days before Ahmad's birthday, what was to be his 26th birthday. And it was in that call where you said something to me that um, was more than sobering. It was haunting. And something had hit me, like even in sort of the confusion of time during COVID-19 and staying home, uh, 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 shelter in place uh, orders, um, something hit me after we got off the call. And so we were talking and we were debriefing and processing um, all the complexities and all the, um, all the pain of that story and of that lynching. And one of the things that you said to me was, um, you know, I have come to you as a white man talking to a black man, a white dad of a black kid talking to a black dad of a black kid. Am I in some way overusing my privilege? Am I in some way burning bridges by unforgivingly um, advocating for, if not fighting for, um, and just fighting on behalf of um, Devon? And the words you said to me is, you have got to understand, Greg, they are hunting for your child. And even now I get a lump in my throat when I think about it, not just for our children, but for the victims before us already, um, and such as Ahmad. And we got off the phone and I remembered how much of a struggle it was for me because that week we were also trying to navigate space for Devon's depression and keep him in a good space, given that it was his, it was to be his ninth birthday. 
And then it hit me that his birthday and Ahmad's were the same day. And even though I knew that our job here was to just make this the best possible birthday Devon could have and under these conditions, which he said it was his best birthday ever. So I'm grateful to all the family and friends that came out virtually to support him. There was something, again, like I said, haunting about the angst that I have, that you have, the experience that you've shared of thinking about how we're going to protect our black children. And in that moment, to realize that they shared a birthday was just, it was, it was, um, we're not going to forget it, obviously. And we've committed as a family to, you know, um, walk or run or do something in reflection together each year on his birthday for that, for the 2.23 miles. Um, as we progressively educate Devon in age appropriate ways. And it was interesting because when we last, um, talked over this this platform, um, you had asked a question that just resonated, sat with me. It was a gift. It was a gift. And I didn't have, to me, the, the direct answer. And I said that I was going to be, this was going to sit with me. And I think those were the best gifts, the best questions that just kind of sit with you. And one thing that in our conversation um, that kind of rose for me and, and thinking about our young people who are just trying to navigate and then negotiate and make sense of everything that they're seeing around the world, as it relates specifically with black children, um, it to me what was so kind. Of, I still haven't like I said I haven't really gotten clarity, but the, the the challenge that I'm still wrestling with is this idea notion that it's survival is is just a baseline. But yet it's still not able to be taken for granted, um, not expected in really, really kind of bad and not great ways emotionally and psychologically. But then there's this idea of we're also trying to raise our kids to feel liberated. Right. Right. Like. I'm a runner. I love going jogging. Mm. I, I, I don't know that. How safe, I don't, you know, safety in this country for a black man um, in the skin that I'm in, like, that, that's not the case. But what I, I guess what I want to say is that there is a certain level of peace in Zen when I run, yeah. right, that now it's completely taken away. How do we prepare our kids to say that liberation has some type of parameters? That's what I'm wrestling with. And how do you parent that way? And that is not what I ever signed up for when I think about wanting my kid to explore all facets of what this life and this world has to offer and it should do so freely. Yeah. What comes up for me, Dell, as you're speaking is that there's an unfair gap between theory and actual. Theoretically, we should be able to really envision liberation in the most you know, um, broad sense in the, in the, in the, in the, or we should be able to think about liberation across many domains and in many arenas, et cetera. And what I'm hearing is that, and in our heads, we can have those definitions and in our day to day, we can't live in those definitions without some type of risk. 
yeah. you know, a couple days after you and I spoke and had that conversation and it was still sitting with me, everything was sitting with me in a raw um, fashion, Devon and I went out, um, Gary and I take turns taking Devon out to this dead end hill where Devon has been loving riding his bike because now with the streets, you know, mostly empty, it's pretty safe for him to be going up the hill, riding down, etc. And he's, he's, it's, there's a sense of freedom to that. And he loves that. And the other day he was riding down a couple days after we spoke, he was riding down the hill and I, it's, it's not unusual for people to see him and I out together. And unless we're actively, you know, being dad and son, people will question if he's got someone with him, right? That's reasonable, I get it. And so he's riding down the hill, I'm waiting for him at the bottom, and this older white woman shows up and says, um, uh, are you with him? And, and just in her tone and her face, I was like, I just, I don't, I'm not ready for this. I, she wasn't asking in some loving, like, how much fun way. Mm-hmm. And I just looked at her and very briefly i just said yes and she looked at me and i know she was talking about the bike but think about the context and the the privilege she has of not having to think about her context when she says he's going to die at a young age and i just thought to myself you know she was probably just mad at me because i'm letting him go down a hill on a bike i don't know right um or go outside, but even just to say that um, in that week that the news broke, even just to say that, I was like, and and I'm certain to this day she hasn't put any of that together or thought about that, but it has sat with me, and I'm like, I'm you know, just there's not there's not even that liberation that you're talking about, that theoretical liberation in words. Yes, like even in words, like her message was different. And it had a different, uh, a, a very different impact. Yeah. And that's what I, and that's exactly what I struggle with so much in, in this role. And um, again, we went back and talked about how, you know, there's, 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 no, there's no playbook, but, you know, you can do everything within your control possible to speak to and feed the soul of your young, your, your child. Um, but that still doesn't take into account for all of the madness and all of the disconnect that people are going to bring around your child that you don't have control of, right? Um, I, 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 I'm sorry that you experienced it, and I, 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 I really hope that Devon was not in the earshot of this person, but my assumption is, because oh, that, that's, I, I, that, that's the thing. I'm trying to get myself prepared for when my child is going to be on the receiving end of this and then having still to make sense of it. The fact that I've worked so hard with everything in my control to let you know that the world is your oyster. I want you to go ahead and do everything that you can possibly do and and, and, and explore. Um, and then we're going to have this other conversation about how people see you just in your skin as a threat, yep. how people think you're less than just because of um, – I, that's the part to me. I mean, if, if 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 I have to just be real and then really tap into my emotions, part of it, it, it feels completely un, unfair because it feels like I'm never going to be able to be able to be successful in that game. And parenting's hard enough as is. All right. So here's 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 
So it's weird because I know we have the responsibility of educating him around all the realities of life. And I feel like we do every time there's a problem that he has witnessed, a racialized problem he has witnessed. And because we don't think there's going to be any shortage of those situations, we will take unique moments like this where he did not hear it to do the opposite. Because And so, so he is someone who wants to know everything that's going on. So after that woman interacts with me, his job then is to come and say, what did she say? Which is exactly what he does. And in that moment, and again, I don't know if this is strategy, if this is, I don't know, like if this is, anyways. So in that moment, I could A, tell him what she said and add one more harm that he does not need. Even if it's for a learning experience, he'll have plenty of. B, I could just say nothing and it's, you know, some zero. Or I can lie and try to compensate for all the negative messages. My stance is to lie in that moment. My stance is to say, you looked, she said, you looked amazing jumping, you know, coming down that hill. And that is, that's literally my stance. It's how we approach school. It's how we, like, I feel as though uh, my job to compensate for the injustices is to overcompensate for the positive because it's, it, even, even if I were to do that every day, it doesn't come close to what's needed for balance, and yet that's that's my stance, and and it's no harm. It's one of those. I mean, I'm calling it a lie. I actually think it's it's. I, I don't care what it is, but you know. Yeah, I think if you if you want to if you if if you label it that, then it, then associated with that comes the gravity of mm. of 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 that type of term being used, and I don't think it's lying. I think it's it's called protection, and it's called protection. I mean, listen. Quite frankly, um, I, you know, we, we spoke last about hidden curriculum, right? Um, yeah. One thing that my mom did that I didn't quite understand until I actually got to Morehouse College was this constantly uplifting and pushing me because she knew that the world was going to in every single way try to take away from my confidence in some shape, form or fashion. And when I got to Morehouse College, it was very interesting. I was like, I've heard this message before when they were saying for four years or for however long you stay, we want to pour into you so that when you go back out into this world, you have everything you know that you are not lacking of anything. Nice. Um, and I think that that's, that's, called, that's called protection. That's called raising. It's not called lying. I think we 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 get to um, create different. We get to flip the script. We get to create different rules as a result of having to combat all the nastiness that our children are going to experience. And, and the thing is, it's inevitable. Like so, me that me preventing you from hearing what this reality is. I'm just buying myself enough time that when you do hear it, you're going to know exactly how to respond. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. I appreciate that. You, can you speak a little bit more, if it's okay with you, about Morehouse? And the reason I'm asking that is when I think about how we sustain, you had shared a powerful story that I think, for me, is lessons for the conditions that I want to uh, have Gary and I look for and create for Devon. You were talking about how the community of Morehouse has been there, even through um, incidents like the this uh, recent lynching in Georgia, as well as so many other scenarios as a support to you. And you, you've called that um, pivotal or, or essential. Yeah, so we well, we can start at just being a 17-year-old leaving Minnesota. Um, and my environment that I left was extremely homogeneous and white. Um, 
and did a lot to, like I said, kind of tear away at at my confidence and my and my and I my identity as a black young man. Um, so then I get to Morehouse and immediately um, the messaging about your identity and who you are and your purpose for being um, there it, 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 from, from, from the onset, it's all about pouring into you and uplifting you and liberating from what those messages that you once received about who you are. Right. So, you know, we have we're talking about people who in theory want to discuss things like integrated identities and and what does it mean to self-actualize and see yourself as a as a as a successful person, as whatever you want to see yourself as. Right. Um, Morehouse created the conditions to make that I wouldn't say it's easy, but easier than it had ever been before. Right. If that makes sense. Um and so for four years, starting with that messaging that you are not only the best, the brightest and the most brilliant, but you are also a person who needs to contribute back. Like one, one, one model that just goes, here is like, you're not a successful Morehouse man until you can reach back and find seven other people who look like you to have this experience, right? Like that's the type of environment and the conditions that are kind of set for you to, to, to operate in and to grow in that very, very, and to me, pivotal moment of your life from 17 to 21 or from, eight, you know, 18 to 21 or 22. Um, but then I want to say that that carries with you because then I have a network of black men who are also black fathers um, to black children, Right. This creates this network that continues with you once you leave Morehouse that has been, I call it sustaining lifeblood. Like it, it helps not just, right, not just survive, but be able to have the confidence to actually look for our ways of thriving, to look for ways of raising your kids in the way that you'd want to and optimally raise your kids in, in, this, in this society, in this country, right? And so we're able to still together process and make meaning of the things that are not so great about this experience. Um, and when I say this experience, I mean, as a black man in this, in this country, raising a kid is, 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 is a challenge, right? It's a challenge for anybody to raise a child, period. But those identity attacks that have been, they don't stop after you leave Morehouse, but you at least have a network of people to process what that looks like when I feel like the stakes are higher. It's one thing for me to be an individual. It's a whole other thing for me to be a partner and a father, right? And so the questions become bigger. You have a network of, of, of folks who had similar experiences that, that you have to just be able to process, make meaning, and then move on to the next thing and, and strategize. A lot of our conversations, we still strategize about how would we, how are we going to both collectively and as individuals approach this um, um, things such as having your child in the right school, et cetera. I appreciate you sharing that, but I also appreciate um, you sharing it, not just with your words, but like sharing that wisdom because I mean, this conversation is born out of like Devon benefits from that network because he benefits because I am your friend, you know, we're friends and I benefit on behalf of Devon from that wisdom as someone 
someone who doesn't have that network, and yet you are part, you are that network for me. And so, um, so it does keep giving when you talk about giving back. Um, it does, and and I know that for me, this has been a lifeline of fatherhood for me, and. In turn, it benefits Gary as a dad, and um, ultimately, it benefits Devon, and you know, and and we'll look for the ways for it to keep giving as well. So I'm I that you just I, I remember when you talked about it, you you know, you talked about it with this passion, and uh, that this is just part of your. It's not just network; it's part of your entity. It's part of your family, and so yeah. yeah. And I and I and I think you know one thing in thinking about. Um, ways of of doing, ways of parent parents doing to 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 support their kids. I think one thing that we can offer in this conversation is trying to get our kids in those networks, right? To get our our young kids in those in those networks if they're not being intentional and being and see we as adults and as parents have the privilege uh, to some degree of selecting those networks and having our, our, our children exist in those networks. Like I always wondered growing up, um, what is the purpose of Jack and Jill, right? Mm. And uh, Jack and Jill, for those for people who don't know, Jack and Jill is a uh, black organization, a national black organization. Um, th- there is elements, if you, you know, speak candidly, of class that, that goes associated with this, but it's a creative a network of black parents, professional parents with uh, – the children of those parents um, to to engage and to, to create a network. Yeah. Um, that's necessary, but it doesn't have to be a Jack and Jill for us to be able to organically create those networks for our young people right. so that they can, our, our children, so that they can um, just experience things together versus those moments when those their identities attack feel more even more isolated yeah. than that, 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 right? I appreciate that, and that that brings me to this question about school, and um, and I and I'll say why it brings me to the question about school. You know that school has not been working um, for Devon as well as for other kids um, who don't look like Devon, and in seeking opportunities for support, it was moving slowly, and so we helped the school to just form a Black affinity group for students. And for for black, yeah, you know, for obviously for black students, and it was gender based, based on how students self-identified gender, um, and that's now grown to six groups around the city, and the it's been very new as a program. It's been slow starting. Um, I think that that we've seen structural racism get in the way, but we started to get feedback from students about the difference that it makes for them. And the first difference it makes is that having a place where they could feel that they weren't being watched, they weren't at risk of being attacked, first and foremost, was essential. And the reason I'm bringing that, making that connection is I wanna, I wanna put the conversation to, the, to school during COVID-19 because I'm scared. I'm really scared as to, and I know we talked about this last time, but how it feels as though we're jumping back to our roots of thinking equality over equity. We're jumping back to our roots of um, just moving and trying to re, um, that we're trying to restructure school as it was just in a virtual way instead of reimagining school that is more equitable. And the other day, our superintendent, a black leader who, you know, with my job, you know, I I am in partnership with this district, 
Um, and I have to constantly figure out ways of being in support of the vision and the work. And as a parent, need to not lose my voice and have some concerns. And a statement that was made in a, P a virtual PTA meeting with a thousand parents at it. And again, I truly believe people can misspeak and can say things in ways that they may not mean, etc. But what was said, what was said when asked about, and it was the last question of an hour before they got to the place of asking the question around, before school started, there were already students, the system, the structure of school was not serving. Our commitment in the district has overtly been stated as black children, black male students in particular. How with COVID-19 are we gonna fulfill that commitment? And paraphrasing the superintendent, the word was, while they continue to be our priority with the impending uh, budget cuts, we don't know how much we can do. And so does that mean school literally is not for our kids and we should just leave? Like, what does that mean? You know, and the reason I made that connection with the affinity groups is we can hold into a circular hole and acting surprised doesn't work. And I know that there are things that we can do differently that doesn't have to be added on. We have to think differently in order to create the system that we supposedly get, go, again, going back to theory versus actual, right? And our theory is school's for everyone. The actual is it's not. And why, why can't, if we don't have enough money just to add on, why can't we say, so with the money we have, we're going to rethink? Yep. So I don't know. I'm wondering, because I'm even, I even, I have a motion even talking about it right now. I'm wondering, like, when you think about that and we think about school, what comes up for you around moving forward in a post-COVID-19 time? What are opportunities? What are traps? Like, what are some things we, because I don't think the system's going to be looking out for it, but what do we as parents need to be looking out for and advocating, especially since right now, we are the teachers. We are happy, like, our teachers are preparing things and we are executing them. And, you know, I, I only half-jokingly say, where does our union get to negotiate, like, what needs to be true? Um, so... I'm curious, what do you think are some of the opportunities and some of the traps um, we as parents should be looking for? I think now um, and moving forward, the one advantage that we have, and I again, I think it, it depends upon the, the, the mindset by which you approach raising your child in public education school systems, right? We have an advantage in that the priorities are going to be coming very, very clear. They're going to be clearer than ever before because there will be monetary hits to almost every district, right? Yes. And so now you're going to be hearing or seeing what people's priorities are, and they're not going to be able to hide behind things because they're not going to be able to throw money to hide behind um, things that were not their priorities. So right. I, 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 the first thing I'd like us to do as parents is look for where the priorities are. And that's gonna be, it's not going to be as easy as just what I just said, because mm -hmm. sometimes we know how things get masked in policy and how things get masked in people's um, different strategies for, for, for how they're going to support our, 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 our young people in school. 
But it's going to be pretty apparent once you can dig through that to see what the priorities are. And if you recognize that as a part of the priority that you do not see your kids face in there, then that's when the alarm bells have to start ringing. I think we're going to need to start building. I love how you built that that coalition, that affinity space within um, your context in, in, in San Francisco, right? Uh, because you have a group of people that you're not going to be alone when you start ringing the bell and say, wait a minute, um, I don't see my kid in whatever you're prioritizing, right? Um, the other part is too, and I don't want to, I don't want to stick in theory, but I think that this is something that I've, I've, I've learned and experienced that makes a lot of sense that could be operationalized. This, this theory can be operationalized pretty, pretty well. And that's that targeted universalism, right? I, I don't want to support the status quo when the kids who are doing fine before and pre COVID, they're going to probably continue to be fine because the structure is working for was working for them prior to Right. But if we can start prioritizing using targeted universalism as, as, as this, if we meet the needs of the least reach, the, the most marginalized student, if we meet their needs, everything is going to trickle up. That's right. That's right. Right. And so I think it's going to take some convincing because people are going to start holding on because this idea and this 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 myth. I mean, let's name it what it is. I mean, that is that is maintaining hegemonic culture right there when you can say, well, we don't have enough. So yep. now we're going to, have to really adjust our priorities. Yep. And it doesn't matter if I find it so interesting too. the face of the person who says that message does not matter. It can be a black person saying that it can be a white person. It can be any person saying that, but they're still promoting the same agenda. And that is we need to keep for the haves what they have and you have not. So still it's, 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 it's the replication of the caste system that we, 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 we exist in. Right. And that is that we're going to have to interrupt that and say, no, if we meet the needs of the least reached person, in our school building, the least reached family in our building, it's going to have a positive effect for every single family, every single student that we serve. But you gotta, you have to have leadership that believes that. But I think it all starts with a coalition of parents who are going to say, ring the alarm and say, listen, I, I'm seeing that this isn't working for my kid. You know, as you're saying it, something's happening in my head, like the little visuals forming. And I'm like, at the simplest, at the most oversimplified um, level, that could mean simply that, however we define it, 51, 51% or more of our resources have to go to the students who we have not served to date. And I'd love it to be 75%, 90%, right? Like Because resources is a, a, a word we can define in many ways, etc. And I... What I love about what you're saying, and if we did that, we would still be serving 100% of our students. Yep. And when you say that, two things come up for me. I don't know if you know this, but when I started in the classroom, I had a math class where we got a, a, a grant to do some specialized planning. And I had the students coming in at the ninth grade who had not been successful in math. They were coming into the ninth grade with roughly an average of a fifth grade math level. And we did a 100% project-based learning in that math class. And by the end of the year, these students had accelerated their knowledge and skills so that they could be on track starting in the 10th grade with all their students. It was a very extreme acceleration because normally you don't grow that many years in one year. But it, you know, it was an intense class. It worked really well. And it was project-based learning. And I'm looking at what's happening in these virtual classes. To all of our teachers' credits, they did not 
This is everyone. This was dropped on everyone at the same time, and I, I can't help but to think about how project-based learning would be an example of that universal. Um, um, wait, what did you call it? The targeted universalism. Targeted universalism. I missed yeah. that first. You know, and so I'm just wondering, like, how would having pro project-based learning where students can interact offline together, et cetera, towards this common and clear set of goals is an example for me of, of rethinking. Another piece for me is bias isn't going to turn, isn't going to go away. And we're seeing bias play out in the classroom. Um, can I share another story? Because I love this story so much. Please. Um, we get a phone call. We love Devon's teacher. He is great. We do. We collaborate, and he's open to looking in the mirror. We're, you know, we we've pushed each other and and received pushing from each other. And the first few weeks of the virtual learning, there were some moments where Devon was being. Um, well, I mean, we call it bullying, but you know, it it's for the you know. I'm using that word in the way we're using socially right now, where there were incidents where someone was talking smack to Devon. And he brought it up. And the teacher who was really trying to figure out how to create a virtual space followed up beautifully, did one-on-ones, changed some of the rules, et cetera. And then a few weeks pass, and then your worst fear comes true, and I get a phone call saying, hey, uh, it's time for Devon's 101. He was talking smack. We need to check in, et cetera. And so he tells me the story. And so the story is, he says, since there couldn't be a lot of control, I hate that word, but there couldn't be a lot of control of students' interactions, a lot of the technology was shut down. They couldn't chat with each other. They couldn't do this. They couldn't do that. And so the, there was none of the individual stuff. And it was anything that happened was on blast. And it was so that the teacher couldn't you could hear if they were responding to him. But he also couldn't watch everyone while he was teaching. So... Sometimes people were off task and it was public for all to see. And so there was a, a student who was off task and was sharing his toys or something, doing something about his toys or whatever. He says, and Devon responds when the kid is sharing one of his toys. Devon responded to him and said, boo, right? Which is Devon's code word for everything. Like, no, or I don't like this or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so then that kid uh, turned around, the other kid turned around, and Devon ha didn't have his real name up there. He had Cool Kid up there or something like that. And the other kid goes, I don't know who Cool Kid is, but he starts throwing smack at Cool Kid. And Devon reads it, and then Devon responds, F you. So, um, you know, the teacher and I are on the phone, and we're unpacking this, and I'm like, so first of all, we're starting with that language is never okay. And, you know, not being on task is never okay. We're going to follow up, et cetera. And I said, I know I'm a pain in your butt and I'm always pointing out the root issues, but this has been a, a recurring theme. And so at some point the kids are going to say, I guess this is what we do. We'll have that message too. You know, and I said, and he said, well, I'm going to take another, you know, uh, I'm going to do another thing and, you know, another intervention, et cetera, with the technology. And I said, I said, so why do you have the chat on? And he said, well, you know, just in case, we need to have some conversation. I said, oh, okay, how often do you have conversation? He says, not really, we don't ever really have it. And I said, so again, I just wanna point out that we're sort of setting these kids up. You know, they're, they're eight, they're nine years old and he got it and all this. And I actually think the chat should be on. I actually think we should be able to create culture where we can take that up. And I also think that the chat, the kids should be able to chat, right? So there's lots of root issues here. 
So I'm trying to think about the best time Gary and I can talk to him. And so we sit down at dinner and we're like, okay, so listen, we want to, oh, and the teacher sent me the, um, the script. And sure mm-hmm. enough, there it was, boo, nephew, mm-hmm. right? So I said, do you know what we want to talk about today? He's like, no, I don't. And I said, well, it was about what happened in class today. He says, oh, I know. I said, F you, and I shouldn't have. Like, he immediately knew. And I said, absolutely, thank you for knowing that. I said, but really, it's, it's do you know why? He, he said, because, oh, but he was, you know, he was talking smack to me. And I said, yeah, but do you know why he was talking smack? And he said, no. And I said, because you said boo to him. He said, I didn't say boo to him. I said, Devon, we got the script, and it's right here. He said, Greg. He said, he was off task. We're not supposed to be talking to each other. I said boo to Mr. to the teacher because the teacher was telling us he was breaking our groups up. And I was like, oh, my freaking word. He flipped the script again. Mm-hmm. Flipped the script again. Did I say this with you already? No. No? no. I'm no. just Because this was like, and so like, I was like, but here's the thing. He was totally engaging with the teacher, doing yep. what he's supposed to do, and his yep. engagement was assumed to be not engaged. Yep. So one of the things that I said to him, and I, and again, if we're going to be in a virtual space, I was like, he, he's, this is too much for him to, as an individual. It's too much for any of us. When we do professional development, we have three people on, dealing with chat box, dealing with technology, dealing with facilitation, etc. Who are the culturally proficient or culturally aware parents or colleagues or whatnot that should be on or in every classroom watching those class dynamics? Like that would be an example for me of an opportunity. And I know it's a long story and I apologize, but it's it's one more brilliance of Devon where I'm like, we have we as adults think we know what it is. And he's like, like, it's so simple to him. And it's no, you got it wrong. Yep. I, I, so, so that, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. And I just love Devon and how just sophisticated his brain is and just how, just how he is. It's just, it's so amazing. Um, and it's just such a shame that at the, at, at the gate, you know, most adults um, will not appreciate our children's brilliance, we're going to rush to assumptions. So, so, so what came up for me when you were saying, when you were telling me the story is how inquiry could have been such a powerful tool in this example. And I get that teachers, you're right. They are doing a lot. They are doing a lot, but I think more than ever, it's going to be people's maybe, um, inclination or just feel comfortable to rush to certain assumptions about how our kids are interacting with this when they're trying to figure it out themselves on these virtual platforms. The best thing that tool we have at our disposal is inquiries, asking questions. What do you mean by boo? Who are you booing? Like, I wonder if the teacher would have been able to handle, like, I'm kind of booing you because you're, you're losing control of your class a little bit here, virtually. <laughs> and, and it's well within my right as a, as, as a, as a um, recipient of this, this, this um, or a, a, a community member to raise issues if it's not working for me. This kid is off task, right? Like, but how do we use inquiry and not rush to assumptions at this point in time? Um, I think would be really, really good. And you know what? Honestly, um, 
just as a as a black man who was once a black boy, God, I wish a lot more people would have asked me more questions about my intent or about the same thing that everybody wants to push off when they're trying to say, well, I didn't intend to do this. That wasn't my intent, right? When it's an, when we're the victims or the subjects of it, ask me more questions about how I'm uh, how I'm presenting or what what's going on versus rushing to assumptions, and then maybe just maybe souls and spirits won't get killed in this process of schooling. Amen. I thank you for saying that. Uh, how about Ella? How's your baby? How's how's school going for her? It's interesting. Um, it's clear. We talked last time about structure and how it, it wasn't really love. She wasn't loving the structure in the place. And now when you try to impose structure in this completely structureless, like when I say completely structureless, I just mean like classrooms are not classrooms. So that yeah. box that she would have to sit in and observe, it's just not existence, right? Not existent. Um, she's responding now where she is a first grader who sounds like a senior, I was like, when is this thing going to be done? Like, I'm really ready for this to be done. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, uh. oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so I said to her um, two things, which I didn't get. A, I'm not really surprised by the response. It's just Ella being Ella. I said, um, well, one it's really not that long. We don't have that much time. And I think you're going to miss the experience of interacting with classmates and whatever she says right back right away. It's like, I can interact with them the same way that I'm interacting with them now. I have messenger. I have chat. I can talk to them that way. I'm like, okay. So she served me back that one right back. I was like, okay. Like, well, also don't think that once we summer comes that we're not going to learn, we're going to be learning. She said, that's fine. I'm not saying I don't want to learn. I just don't want to do school anymore. Wow. I was like, oh, out of the mouth of babes. Wow. I was like, okay. So I wanted to spend more time inquiring about that. But my daughter is very interesting. She'll give you these like great nuggets and then she'll shut down the conversation and be like, you know what? I've given you what you need to. Now you need to do your work. Because <laughs> I was like, well, what is that? You don't like the structure? Do you not like the assignment? So she's writing a uh, fairy tale right now and she likes the story part of the fairy tale. She loves the imagination that goes into the fairy tale. She just does not like the fact that she's got to sit down and, you know, have a conversation about editing and all that. Like that's, that's not her jam. So I, I really appreciate the gift of this. I, this, I, there's no figuring this thing out. It's just an everyday process. Yeah, <laughs> and I she's going to teach me something every day. I love her brilliance. Well, that's just it. We have to think they're the teachers in this case, because they are, they are. I'm, I am wondering, um, there's a piece of me that says when you said she loves the, the creative piece, she doesn't like the sitting down piece, which she, I'm just curious because now I'm selfishly wanting to quote unquote, see her fairy tale. Would she buy into it differently if her presentation of her fairy tale weren't a written piece, like, or along with the written piece was the visual acting it out, the, the video play, you know? I, yep. I think absolutely. And since her, uh, um, fairy tale has unicorn poop in it. Oh, which is it. something that I guess is really big. <laughs> um, like, I think I, I think she would love the experience to be able to express her, her creativity 
and unicorn poop in multiple ways, and that's just writing it down. God, I love it. Okay, yeah, I want to. I'll buy tickets to that show. <laughs> I'm gonna let her know. As a matter of fact, she's always talking about a YouTube channel. I think we're gonna need to just at least record something. I don't know about a YouTube channel, but like, let's re- let's record this thing out. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh my gosh, that is awesome. That is awesome. Again, the brilliance, the brilliance, the oh, the the taking all these complex issues and turning them into these simple duh solutions where they're saying duh to us. Um, I'm gonna keep learning that. Yep, yep. That's that's the greatest gift of all of this, right? It's yes. just to be able to sit in that learning. Um, because they're gonna they're gonna teach us. They will. Mm-hmm. So we have about a minute left. Um, I'm wondering if there's any last thoughts that you might have, um, or yeah. One 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 takeaway that I appreciate in this conversation is me thinking about the networks of parents that I have because I you talked about the Morehouse and uh, and and that's great because it's nationwide, but we're we're, we're we're spanned out across this country, and I don't have anybody locally that I can say that I would really depend on uh, as an ally uh, as we try to 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 navigate this the, this public school in this context. Um, so I'm really trying to think about who who who's in that network and how do I um, create that 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 network and that that. Um, Alliance and accomplice network, um, so that we can address some of the some of the the needs and some of the issues that I I, I definitely foresee coming up. Cool. Um, I leave this call, and it's probably going to keep me up at night. But um, while I continue to think about and worry about Devon every night, I'm going to continue to think about and worry about what school's going to look like when we get back. And what I'm taking away from this call is the idea of us keeping an eye on opportunities and pitfalls. So, yeah. Well, thank you. You have been listening to Dadding Black Kids with Adelric McCain and Gregory Peters. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for Adelric and Gregory, email them to dbk at sfcess.org.